Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm Mitch Bryan. And I'm John Ingle. And today we'll be talking about minute number 24, which begins with Dallas looking around and ends with a shot of a moon. Is it a moon? We'll, we'll talk about that. that out. Tom Taylor is <laughs> our guest today from the Indiana Jones Minute podcast. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. So minute number 24. Um, let's talk about that moon for a second. You want to talk about it? Mitch and I were talking about it a little off. You want to jump to the end? You want to jump to the end of the scene? That's right. It is the end of the scene. I'm talking about <laughs> it like it's the beginning of the scene. Um, I want to start with the first shot sorry. in this minute. Sorry, I was trying to do something avant-garde yeah. with today's episode. I apologize. Every movie has a beginning, middle, and end, just not necessarily in that I was, order. I was doing a memento thing. Just... All right. So f this first shot is a point of view shot looking out the windows. Yes. And the only point of view shots that we've had up to this point are Ash looking out from his blister. But it's a different point of view shot. Yes. But I don't register that when I see it instantly. So I think, oh, we're back to Ash. Yeah. Then we cut to the reverse shot, whose point of view it is, and we see Ripley. And she's standing there in this really heroic pose. I mean, it's the first time we've seen her photographed from a low angle. She's holding the coffee cup the way that Dallas would hold the coffee cup. And I just think it's an extraordinary moment, you know, that we've just been forced into her point of view and we've revealed her in a way we've never seen her before. Yeah. And I think it's a foreshadowing to where we're headed, you know. Tom, what, uh, what did you make of this moment, this shot? Yeah, that's interesting because we don't know yet. It hasn't been said out loud, I don't think, that she's technically in charge right now because Dallas is off the ship. Like, she's in command, basically. So we don't actually know that as the audience at this point, but we can, we're getting that feeling from her now, that she's um, possibly the one steering things right now. Like, Ash is the, you know, he's on point. You know, keeping track of the away team. I'm going to call them the away team. What else do we call them? Yeah, that's what we call them. Um, uh, but she is, we're getting the sense that she is the one to go to in terms of calling the shots. Yeah, and, and when she calls Ash, it, you know, there's a sense of authority to it. She calls them like, yeah, give me a, give me a heads up. What's going on right now? Sort of like she is the captain of the ship. And I read Ash's response. He hesitates answering for a moment. I think he's annoyed by this. I don't think he's very happy that she's the one in charge of the ship here. And that's just my reading of it. Do you guys read it that way as well? Yeah. I mean, he. Um, we see a little bit later that he doesn't have that much of an interest in uh, her point of view or her uh, her her titular command at this point. Um, so, yeah, I think he probably figures that he's the smartest guy on the ship whoever else is on the ship at the time. Um, and yeah, his response is a little bit like, oh yeah, totally. Knock yourself out. Look at the, co look at the message that I wasn't able to figure out. And I'm, I'm sure you'll do wonders with it. <laughs> it also indicates this position of her as a communications person, that maybe that's more in her wheelhouse than in his. So her willingness to, to say, let me take a look at it. Uh, seems to follow along the lines of when we were trying to figure out exactly what her job is on the ship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she sits down and looks at that gibberish that we <laughs> thought maybe only robots can understand, and she seems to be able to read that stuff. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's binary code, right? She's just looking at simple binary code, right? But do you, yeah. How do you just read that? Uh, we were, Tom, You in previous minutes, uh, when they were looking at the 
uh, atmospheric conditions of the planet, Ash is reading the most just baffling <laughs> screen of information. He's just reading it no problem. And I was um, positing the idea that this should be very suspicious. If this guy can read this, he must be an android. But here we're getting more um, – we're seeing a human reading it. So, uh, right. you know, that weakens my theory, but, um, yeah, she's, she seems to be able to, to read it. She just kicks back and checks it out and she's waiting for the, um, waiting for a conclusion here. And one of my favorite shots of the movie, actually, I love how this is framed. She, she's kicked back foot up. Um, I don't know something about that yeah. shot that appeals to me. I have a note, uh, Ripley as Neo, that she's looking at this code. She's like actually seeing something in all those ones and zeros. Um, and it also goes to like, I, my gut reaction, like, yeah, to that, that earlier scene that you're talking about where they're looking at the atmospheric readings and it is just nonsense. You know, I'm sure it means something to somebody, but um, there's something a lot more acceptable about late seventies nonsense computer screens, computer readouts than today's nonsense computer readouts that like, you know, I think we know enough now. I think the, the common moviegoer knows enough about how computers work just at a base level to know when something, you know, baloney is going on on a computer in a movie. And we just kind of accept, okay. Okay. Um, but then, um, yeah, to see it in a 70s movie, a late 70s. I don't know if it's because I was a kid then, and so it's sort of like I accept it as more legitimate or something, but it seems a little more, um, I don't know, acceptable and not not phony. Like, oh, these guys know something I don't know. Like, it's not a picture of, you know, I don't know, the sun, like, coming up and, you know, where the team is or something. It's not like, or it's not like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's not like a uh, like some kind of plain English readout saying minutes to decoding of important message, you know, and it's like, like a countdown, like something really stupid to like, you know, hold the audience's hand or something. It's yeah. something that the character understands and we don't have to understand it because it's not our job to decipher this message. Uh, we can't do anything with it anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's like it's 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 nonsense, but it's not insulting nonsense. It's kind of cool nonsense. It adds to the general weirdness of the movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then we get a shot of the cat. I was going to bring this up too. <laughs> so, Just to remind us that there is a cat aboard the ship. Right. Well, there's there's a couple of things here that I was going to say. One, Tom, we've talked about earlier. We've We've been reading a lot of the magazine articles and promotional material from the time the movie came out. And one of the underlying themes or underlying character or direct characteristics to Ripley that they keep pointing out is that she always has this cat with her. <laughs> like she has this cat <laughs> at all times. And there's all these photos of her holding it all the time. It was something the publicity department was trying to set up about Ripley, I guess. But so this is we get this cutaway to Jones. Jones is just cleaning it himself, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm thinking this is the beginning. We're, we get a little arc with Jones. This is my theory. I'm not positive about this, but I'm thinking we're going to get Jones's journey here and there um, because we do get his experience with the alien. So on things later, but we'll talk about more of that later. But I think this is starting to plant that seed. So what do you make of Jones? You a Jones fan, Tom? Sure. I, I yeah, I do like Jones. Um, I do wonder, like, if we saw like this ship launching from earth or wherever it was like 
Ripley saying, hey, can I bring my cat? <laughs> I wonder how much pushback she got from that. Like, do we really need a cat on a spaceship? Do we need a cat anywhere? <laughs> you know, does I, she, you know. I've always assumed um, it was the company's cat. Like oh, it was possibly. P- part of the crew there to take care of rodents and things. I think that's even what the promotional material might say. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've read that. Uh, the, the, the cat was there to make sure no... I guess extraterrestrial rodents got on board or something. It's very, I'm not sure. Um, but That's pretty goofy. That's kind of goofy. I'm glad it, it's not in the text of the film. But it's, so. just, it's a you know, therapy cat. It makes people feel good to have an animal around. So I, sure. I, I buy that, that yeah, there's a healing. pet on board. Yeah, that's very thoughtful for a company, actually, I think, to, to provide the uh, crew with something like right. the, he, the healing spirit of an animal on, the, on board the ship. If the price is right, we'll send our crew to their death, but at least they'll have a kitty cat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, is the is Jones expendable, too? I don't know. I guess, uh, I guess probably so. <laughs> well, looking ahead, of course, everybody says, it's in the cat. It's in the cat. Oh, you know, right, when they right. first saw the movie. So oh, it's right. there as a red herring as well. Is that true? I guess so. Oh, yeah. my gosh, yeah. yeah everybody I mean, was certain that it was in the cat. And apparently they even shot... Uh, an insert of one of the eggs on board the Narcissus at the end. I'm glad they didn't pay that off. Yeah. PETA would have yeah. been all over that. They wouldn't have <laughs> that at all. Well, so there's something else about this scene I want to bring up. In earlier minutes, we've discussed a little bit the 2003 director's cut of Alien. And uh, mainly we're just bringing it up for some of the bigger changes to discuss the different choices made, um, particularly because these are... Uh, the, any additions or omissions have to do with their editing choices in 1979. Mm-hmm. So in this case, the scene that we've been talking about so much that seems to have so much rich material for us to discuss wasn't worthy of staying in the film in the 2003 version. It was cut completely out. We go, uh, not only that, but the assembly of this of all of our minutes has changed. They moved the conversation between Parker, Brett, and Ripley up or down, however you want to look at it, and they cut straight away from that to her point of view out the window. And then they completely uh, take out the conversation between her and Ash and cut right to her moving in behind the console to start reading the message. And I'm borderline offended by this cut. I yeah. This scene to me means a lot. It has a lot to do with the setup of her as a character. It has a lot to do with the dynamic between her and Ash. What do you think about that, Tom? What, how I, would you feel if you watched this movie and it didn't have this scene in it? That is, yeah, that's an excellent point. I think, uh, well, I mean, first of all, I'm all for, you know, the kind of it's in the Louvre sense of film re-editing. Like once the movie's out there and people have had decades to react to it, you don't touch it anymore. You know, it's it's good. Like, you know, I mean, I'm a child of Star Wars and so I've been hurt more than anybody by directors going back and altering what I already loved. Um, but yeah, that's a really interesting, I mean, I can only assume that they would cut something like this for the sense of, uh, you know, just for time or something like there were other things they were putting back in that was going to make the movie too long or something. But, uh, in terms of like the actual pacing and mood of these, this sets of, uh, the set of minutes, uh, yeah, this is really important. You get the, a little bit of um, the dynamic between Ripley and Ash, which is more and more important as the movie goes along. And yeah, even the cut to Jones is a little bit, um, 
it's almost kind of Lambert like like you know we were talking about Lambert you know kind of laughing off her own nervousness and that's kind of like a just a slight relief for the audience from the tension and I think cutting to a cat just sitting on the ground oblivious to everything that's going on you know cleaning his paws uh, I think that kind of has the same effect it's a little bit like okay this is life in space something weird's going on it might not be the end of the world we don't know uh, but look there's a cat things might be okay Mitch, what do you make of this cut? I have no idea. So much of th- these later director's cuts that come out on home video seem to be more about a director getting to tinker and also yeah. a new way to make some more money off the films. Uh, I, on the other hand, if it's a movie that the studio comes in and savages, I'm re- I really welcome re-edits. I, I certainly think that... Um, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, I'd much rather see something closer to the director's vision than the mangled film that came out. Same with Heaven's Gate. Uh, I would even say Tony Scott's Revenge is probably a better movie in the director's cut version because he fought with Ray Stark and he actually made the movie shorter in his director's cut. So, I don't know, it goes both ways. Yeah. yeah, and even American Graffiti, George Lucas got started early. I think the version of American Graffiti you see now is technically a director's cut because when it was first released, he had to make some concessions to the studio who were not into it at all, and he had to cut some just very cool, light, funny scenes, and then he immediately put them back as soon as it came out and it was a hit. And uh, so, yeah, in that kind of sense, I'm like, yeah, no, please, fix your movie if somebody else messed with it. Oh, so they, um, went, back in, they went back in in its initial release. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Wow. I think, I think well, I don't Did know if Did that technically... earlier version get released? I'm I to... think you can probably get it. Okay. I'm not sure. And it's interesting because you're talking about the 2003 director's cut. I know I had a, a video cassette, kids at home. It was like a square kind of, you know, kind of rectangular black thing that you would stick into a, a bigger machine. Um, and it was, uh, I got it at some, <laughs> I got it at a Star Trek convention in Boston. And I think it was a, taped off of the uh, laser disc of Alien. So I don't know if it was like labeled as a director's cut or an extended edition or something, but it did have a lot of extra stuff in it that I knew even then wasn't in the, and this was back in like 1994 or three or something. Um, so this probably wasn't the official director's cut that you guys are referring to, but it did have stuff that I knew hadn't been there in the in the theater and was now uh, reincorporated into the movie. So that was that was neat to see, and I liked some of the stuff that was in there, but even at the time I was like, you know what? Alien is alien. Just, just leave it alone. We got it. I agree. Well, John, now you can talk about the sunrise. <laughs> the sunrise, because it isn't a moon. We, uh, I always assumed this was a little shot of the moon in the background. It looks like a moon as we know it on Earth, if it were nighttime on Earth. But this is daytime on this planet, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. he says sun's coming up. Sun's coming up. So that's the sun? <laughs> that is the saddest Don't put sun. on your sunglasses. <laughs> it won't do anything. It looks like it's. It just looks like a, a big light bulb pointed directly at the camera. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it I is. Have, that's what it is. But man, that's yeah, a sad I have the note sun. that the sun looks like a spotlight, and it's great. That it's probably yeah. just a spotlight, but that's totally fine. Yeah. Again, look- we want it to be a sun so yeah. it works great yeah yeah we yeah they set it up as a sun and it's a sun and there you go and that just speaks to the harsh uh, conditions of this planet if that's if this is daybreak it's a sad nighttime must be horrible but 24 planet. minutes in they've got me 
I mean, okay. they're going to have to start really screwing up. And they could. <laughs> we could get inside that ship and it could be aluminum foil or something and it'd be mm-hmm. terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But providing they don't do something egregious, I'm, I'm in for the ride. Absolutely. All right. Anybody got anything else? That's it for me. All right, that's going to do it for minute number 24. You can check out our website at alienminute.com or follow us at alienminutepod on Twitter. You can also uh, subscribe on iTunes or the Stitcher app. And Tom, where can we find you? You can find me and my co-hosts uh, Pete Mummert and Jerry Porter at the Indiana Jones Minute at uh, indianajonesminute.com. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, uh, what's the other one? <laughs> Google Play. Uh, you can uh, chat with us on Facebook and Twitter, and we'd love to hear from you. All right, that's going to do it for minute number 24. We'll see you tomorrow for minute 25.